Today on the show, we're talking about diplomat, ambassador, and infamous party organizer, Lady Josephine Montelier. Welcome to Law Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. Okay, so hi everyone. <laughs> Welcome to our very first episode on Dragon Age. I am Avery, our resident Dragon Age fanatic, and you can personally thank me for bringing <laughs> Dragon Age to Law Party because I have wanted to do it since I started and we're finally here. And I'm very excited and very grateful to Matt, who is our guest on the show today. So do you want to say hi, Matt? Hi, Matt. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Old joke. Uh, uh, Yes, hi. Thank you, Avery, for having me. I'm excited to be on the show. I've been a long fan of Lore Party for a long time, and I'm friends with the whole crew. Uh, So it's exciting to be here and talk about Dragon Age, and specifically someone who is very important to me within the Dragon Age universe. Yes, so if you hadn't already clocked from the intro or the title, we are here to talk about Josephine Montelier, uh, a character from Dragon Age Inquisition, um, who I think is arguably one of the most important and formidable yet underrated members of the Inquisition. So in this episode, we're going to really kind of delve into Josephine, like who she is, who she is within the Inquisition, where she was before we meet her, because she is very cool and very badass, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, We're going to touch a bit on her personal quest and her romance, and then we're going to kind of try to neatly package this (laughs) for you at the end into the kind of insights that Josephine gives us into the wider world of Thedas and Dragon Age more broadly. So before we get into the rest of the episode, going to do a little bit of housekeeping. So as always, we love to hear from our listeners. So please contact us, send us fan mail, send us your thoughts, any uh, episode ideas that you have. You can email us at podcast at lawparty.com. You can find me, Avery, on Twitter at Red Rocket Panda. And you can find me at DJ underscore Stormageddon. And you can connect with us, Law Party, on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at law underscore party. Okay, so we're going to quickly touch on why I talk about this. So apart from just general Dragon Age hype, like I literally remember when I had my (laughs) little intro. It's not an interview as such, but like my introduction with the Law Party guys. And I was talking to Abu and I was like, why haven't you done Dragon Age yet? I want to do Dragon Age. Let me do it. And now I'm here to finally do our Dragon Age content. And we are talking about Josephine, who I believe is your favorite character. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite characters in all of the games, but for sure, one of my favorite characters and romances within Inquisition. Um, I just think she's a really interesting and dynamic character. And what I like about Inquisition more than the other games 
two does it a little bit, but like the non-party members are just as interesting as the party members, mm -hmm. like the combat party members in Inquisition. They all get a time to shine. I mean, of course, Liliana is from a previous game, and so is, you know, pretty much a lot of the other folks are, but I think it's really fascinating to have this new character in Josephine who is integral to the group um, that is more than just combat and party members because the Inquisition is like this thing that you're building up and it's strategic she gets to be involved even if she's not on the battlefield with you yeah and i love when we were initially talking about ideas for this the first podcast and i had a few ideas floating around and then you mentioned josephine and i was just like oh my god i forgot <laughs> i forgot about <laughs> josephine how could i do that and i think it's because she isn't like a party member that you take with you She's very yeah. much kind of like a little bit more behind the scenes. But as I kind of like want to explore in this episode, like she is integral to the Inquisition. And I honestly think, especially after planning this episode, I think she's the most important person, one of the most important people in the Inquisition. And yet, like, you know, the reasons that I gave is that she doesn't get as much airtime as everyone else. And so I'm personally very excited to gift this first episode to Josephine and we can do it in hot honor. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's often in Bioware games, like the side characters make the world, right? You think about how beloved Joker is in Mass Effect and, and, and characters like that. And I think that Josephine is another one of those characters that is with you throughout the whole story, but isn't necessarily on the battlefield with you, but doesn't make them any less important or impactful. And so it's fun to talk about those kinds of characters too, because I feel like other characters who are in your squad, like, look, whether we talk about Iron Bull now or not, someone's going to talk about Iron Bull. <laughs> Everybody loves Iron Bull, right? And I have nothing against Iron Bull, but I like shining light on the characters that maybe other folks don't talk about. Some of my favorite characters in a lot of the RPGs I play are often characters who are not in the spotlight. Yeah, I think that's a great point as well, because as soon as you said Joker, I was like, I love Joker. Guess who I constantly forget about? <laughs> <laughs> right, is exactly. Joker just because I'm I think as a player I'm very party oriented um mm -hmm. even though I love you know exploring the ship or in the case of Dragon Age like your keep and at the time I'm like you are such a cool and important character and as soon as I leave the game I'm just like who was in that game <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we are going to give Josephine her very due airtime. Um, we are going to quickly go to an ad break. And then when we come back, we're going to get straight into it. So stick around and we'll be back in a second. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Okay, so welcome back, everyone. The first thing that I want to do is talk about who is Josephine? Obviously, I would assume if you're listening to this episode, 
you have played Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh, if not, strange life choices you might be making right now. <laughs> but just in case, I think we should give a little brief overview as to who she is. Um, and I know, Matt, uh, you just kind of touched upon the fact that Josephine isn't like a party member. Um, and I think that can kind of maybe get a bit confusing or people like me forget who's a party member and who isn't a party member. <laughs> so we're just going to kind of say, yeah, that's how it works in Dragon Age. You have some companions that you take on your quests. So those are like your Solaces and Cassandras and Iron Balls and whoever else. And then you kind of have your advisors who stay at your base. And I think, is it just Colin, Leliana, and Josephine? I believe, yes. And on the later spoiler character also comes to join your party towards the end of the game and is an advisor as well, but not someone who fights with you. An important character from the previous games comes to join you in the Inquisition. Um, but yeah, uh, for the bulk of the game, it's just those three, I believe, who are part of the advisory team of the Inquisition. Now I'm like, who the hell are you talking about? I mean, I don't think it's a... I don't think, look, there's going to be some spoilers in this episode, and some of them might be surprises to me. So I'm like, <laughs> who, who, who is this? So later in the game, uh, Morgan from the first game joins Oh you. my god! Yeah. Yeah. And uh, is also plays an advisory role, even though she was a combat companion in the first game. This is very true. It sounds like from the first, like, what are we, 10 minutes into this episode, that I maybe haven't played the game, but I promise you, I definitely played Inquisition. It was just a really long time ago. Um, <laughs> so I definitely, I definitely know what's going on in most cases, but yeah, Morrigan. And she's in the garden. She's cool. You hang out. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then within Inquisition, Josephine's role is kind of as the ambassador and diplomat of the inquisition so you i love that she's kind of like in her little side room you go in she's always hanging out with her little i guess the equivalent of like a clipboard with a candle on it that always really concerns me because in my mind i'm like that candle looks like it should just fall over all the time <laughs> yeah um, and it looks very dangerous, but she's very capable, she's very responsible, and she does not, as far as we know, set fire to anything. Uh, she would be very good at covering it up if she did, though. And then we kind of, I guess, kind of come by Josephine via a personal recommendation from Leliana, which equally cool. I mean, if Leliana comes to you and she's like, hey, hire this person, you're going to hire them? I should hope that you hire them. For sure, yes. I don't know that you would want to say no to Liliana on anything. I mean, I wouldn't. I know. I, uh, but I'm also a big Liliana fan since the first game. So uh, one, of, one of those characters that stayed with me. So by the time I got to Inquisition, it's like, oh, yeah, this character. I'm going to listen to them because they're a cool character. And clearly we find out later on that Liliana and Josephine have a history. Like they've known each other for a very long time. Yeah, I think this is something really exciting to me because... So I definitely remembered Leliana, and that's partly because she was my Origins romance, or she was one of my Origins romance. I had a very messy Origins experience, but <laughs> Leliana was the person my hero ended up with. 
And so when she comes back for Inquisition, I was like, oh my God, my love, Leliana. And then we meet her and I'm like, oh no, Leliana, what happened to you? <laughs> um, but yeah, she comes soon and she's like, yo, hire this really cool person, Josephine. You're like, yeah, sounds great. Uh, and Josephine does many important things, among which is that she throws really good parties all the time. Um, they're very important. They boost morale. They celebrate your victories. I like to think that Josephine is also highly aware of how, I would say, quite highly strung <laughs> our Inquisition <laughs> is with people like Cassandra and Cullen and having to work with them. And she's like, you know what? You guys really just need to get drunk and take your underwear off in poker sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that um, the importance of um, the kind of high society they're placating towards to boost the Inquisition, like uh, along, uh, it seems that Josephine knows how to navigate like high society and important, um, you know, members of certain classes that should come to boost the Inquisition, and part of that is throwing those parties or having these gatherings to like get everyone's morale up and get people excited to support the inquisition to get people behind you yeah kind of uh now that you've said oh everyone talks about iron ball now my mind is just like filled with iron ball so i'm gonna make another horrible iron ball reference as it kind of also reminds me of like there's that time when iron ball kind of like pulls you aside and he's like you know pretend to just be like a, a regular soldier and we're going to go see what, like, the regular people on the ground feel about the Inquisition and how important that is. And I feel like Josephine really does that on a kind of, like, much larger scale and pulling together all of these different facets of many different social groups and roles within the Inquisition and outside of the Inquisition, pulls everyone together and gives them a way to, like, unite um and that's why i was just like she's such an important character and when i was kind of researching and preparing for this episode i was like i looking back i genuinely think the inquisition would just like fail spectacularly even with people like cassandra and leliana and cullen who are all really important I think you really need a Josephine to do the administration, to bring everyone together, to navigate those really difficult relationships. Because I think especially when we're at the war table, you know, Colin is like, let's run and hit everyone with swords. And Leliana's <laughs> like, no, let's sneak around and stab everyone with daggers. And Josephine's kind of in the middle going... Uh, how about we just talk to people, <laughs> see how that goes? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, Josephine's role is very much diplomacy and diplomacy forward. And often you can make a, a choice between the way you want to approach things, whether you want to just up, approach it diplomatically or do you want Liliana or Cullen to use a more forceful method. Um, and I think having that diversity in the planning is really important. But I think um, 
Josephine is the most, I'd say, level-headed of everyone. Mm. I think everyone kind of has a focus and a specialty, which is important. And then there's Josephine to kind of guide on a more diplomatic level that I think is just as equally important as the other more strategic and tactical things that Cassandra, Liliana, and Colin focus on. Yeah, and I think with her kind of, even just with these little like tea parties almost that she kind of throws, I think she offers something, especially within the advisory or even like, <laughs> I guess like senior management team. I don't know of the Inquisition, <laughs> including people like Cassandra. Um, Josephine actually brings this really nice like silliness to the party yeah. that I don't think the other characters I think they have it within them, but it's Josephine that kind of helps to draw that out of them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that uh, Josephine understands how um, how much pressure there is and how you can kind of let light of it can really help. You know, this idea that, Cassandra, I mean, it's clear when you're playing this game, Cassandra, Liliana, and Cullen, specifically Cassandra, I would focus on, is very much the kind of person who is very kind of in their own head and a worrier and kind of super self-serious. And Josephine kind of brings out the lighter side of her as well as many other characters within the Inquisition. Yeah, and I think that kind of nicely segues into our kind of discussion about Josephine's background a bit more because you're like, wow how how does she get so skilled like she just turns up and she just bosses everything she's really great she handles everything like really well um these are all like really difficult skills to acquire and so at first like when i was playing i was just like who is just she seems like she's got some secrets <laughs> and she like absolutely does um some of them i think maybe more obvious than others so with her codex entry, um, which I can never remember, I can't remember if it's like written from the perspective of Cassandra, um, but she, Josephine is basically described as a skilled negotiator who is well-traveled, familiar with many forms of etiquette, and therefore well-suited to the appointment within the Inquisition. Uh, we know from the codex that she's from a noble Antiphon house, that she was educated in Val Royaux, and that she served as chief ambassador from uh, Antifa to Orlais. So all of these are like really super impressive things. Um, for someone who is also quite young, like she has a very, uh, a very impressive C <laughs> essentially CV by the point she even comes to the Inquisition. Yeah, and like it's what's interesting about Inquisition as a game is like we we hear names like you know the Antivans and Antiva and Orlay. It comes up in the first and second games a little bit, but because the first game you those places are mentioned, but we never really see them. And then in the second game, it's such a siloed kind of one place focused story that by the time we get to inquisition if not for josephine we wouldn't really learn about all of these other places right we visit and interact with all of these places especially val Royale. like i think she's a good um like like spyglass into that that lifestyle and those people especially since our main character that we're playing as is kind of you know the classic i don't remember who i am i've kind of been thrust into responsibility to be the leader you know you don't really have 
a history like other characters do in this world. And Josephine's history is one of the more rich histories. Mm. She seems to be one of the more connected characters who knows a lot about a lot of different things, which is why I think that plays into the integralness of the Inquisition that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, and I, with Josephine, so I think this is, this is when I'm like, oh my God, I just can't rest. <laughs> Suddenly recording this episode, I can't remember anything. Is it is Zevran Antivan? I believe so, yeah. Is he from the Antivan Crows? Because I think, yeah, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, I think other than him, Josephine might be our next kind of major character that we have, um, who is from Antiva. And this is kind of like a region that so far in the uh, in the Dragon Age franchise, like, or within the games, we haven't been to Antiva. We haven't seen it. We have kind of glimpses into Antiva and its history and its society through characters like Josephine, but we still don't know that much about it. Um, and I know when I was doing some research for this, and obviously loads of people are like, you know, when are we going to go to Antiva? Like, we, we want to see what that's like. Um, so for anyone else who is kind of equally curious about Antiva, um, when I was kind of looking up about Josephine's history a little bit more, you kind of get these insights into how the society is built. So we know that she's kind of from this, like, um, noble Antivan house. Uh, and the kind of information on her is that she's from like a very powerful Antivan house who were previously one of the major naval powers. Um, that in and of itself is like really interesting because for Rowden, um and all the kind of areas we've mostly encountered are very much like land-based. We haven't really encountered much to, or as much to do with like the naval powers. Um, and we know from her kind of like personal quest and some other bits and pieces that her family are like involved in like cargo shipping. And then I found out that like the cargo ships that her family are exporting and trading goods on are escorted by like warships to protect them against uh, Ravani pirates. And I was like, okay, her family own literal warships that's how much money they have yeah i mean it's it's really impressive just thinking about it politically right and like one of the fascinating things i think about inquisition and josephine as a character is like it's the political side of this game right like the game is very much about dungeon crawling and and combat and your typical rpg stuff but when you look at the characters and the mechanics outside of that Josephine is impossible to ignore as a major factor because of all of the experience and um, connections that she has. And you find out more and more about all of that and quite how powerful her, her nobility is as you explore the game and do more. Yeah, so as we're kind of exploring her, as you say, like her personal quest, which we're going to kind of dig into a bit more later, we also find out stuff around like her family had very strong ties with Orlais. And that our conflict kind of comes up with the Jew Paraquettes, who again, we're going we're gonna to get into that. Uh, and it eventually leads to Josephine's family being exiled from Orlais, and it significantly impacts on their fortune. 
And I think, like you said, like Josephine, because of this very rich background that she has and what we kind of learn through her personal quest and her romance, she gives us this really, really interesting insight into the, as you said, like the political landscape of these games. And when I think about it, most of the games that I really like, I end up, if I have the option, I will play a political diplomat route. So Josephine, in theory, is like the perfect character for me to kind of gravitate towards because I'm like, she gives us these really like juicy glimpses into things, especially obviously when we get to go to Val Royale. And Josephine is essentially our guide there because we're fumbling around in <laughs> what's essentially like French society full of these like really... Uh, snooty nobles and Josephine's the one who comes up to us and is like hey this is how this is the etiquette this is how you need to uh, behave this is how you should talk to people Uh, and that's why it's like we would have really trodden on a lot more toes without Josephine's assistance absolutely yeah and I think that it's also really fascinating you like you bring up her personal quest which we're gonna talk about in a minute but we find out like also why she knows what she knows is not only because of her history and because of her family, but also because of the work she did. Because when she was younger, she was a bard, and bards in the Dragon Age universe, um, as you have in, in our notes here, is they're actually assassins, they're mm. spies. You know, And that not only Josephine, but Liliana, we alluded to this earlier, Liliana and Josephine were friends because they were both bards together. Um, they both did spying and, assa- and assassin work. And like you find out that it's more complicated. Like you hear someone's an assassin, in a game and you're like, oh, they're just like probably cold-blooded murderer or they kill for money or whatever else. And what's interesting about the bards within Dragon Age is they are they are bards in the D&D sense where they play mm. and they entertain, but they are also use those skills to deceive and to get information and to assassinate as well. And I think it's a really fascinating take on the bard that it means more than what it is. And a lot of Josephine's experience and like how capable she is has come from that past, has come from the skill of being someone who was used to spying or getting information. It's why she's so well, like she knows so much is because she knows how to listen. She knows how to find information and gather information. She has her own ways just like Liliana does. Yeah, when we we kind of get this cut scene, um, I think it's during her personal quest when Josephine kind of like reveals to you a bit more about her life as a bard um, and kind of, you know, gives you a bit more information about that. And something that was really struck me is I was like, when we find out about Leliana being a bard, at the time I was kind of like, aw, you seemed like such a nice religious girl. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm like, that makes absolute sense. When Josephine told me she was a bard, I was just like, Josephine, <laughs> like, it was so scandalous to me, I don't know why, but then it makes absolute sense, like, Josephine, when you talk to her about this, she will reveal, like, you know, she studied in Val Royale. she kind of says she was enticed to become a bard by this kind of, like, romanticism that surrounds them, she went with some other kind of young gentry from Antiva to become a bard, as she ends up giving up the life when she kills a rival bard by accident during an attack on her patron. And then she lifts the mask up and she discovers that it's someone that she knew. 
And she kind of laments this when she's talking to you and says, like, it was such a waste of a life. And she wishes that she had tried to solve that with her words rather than with a dagger. And so when we're kind of like thinking about who Josephine is and who she used to be, the fact that I think I was so surprised she was a bard also then made so much sense because I was like, that's because you're really good at what you do. You're vet, she's very good at like holding her cards very close to her chest, but then revealing them at opportune moments. And so I'm like, I bet she could have been an amazing bard if there was a lot less stabbing involved. But then I guess that's kind of like what an ambassador diplomat person is. Yeah, for sure. And I think, like, I agree, though, right? The, the brilliant thing about Josephine's personal quest and her story, especially whether you romance her or not, is that you get to know this person better and see the full picture. We know throughout the game how capable she is. And then this bit about the bards tells us why she is, right? Like you said, mm-hmm. it didn't make sense until you went through the full narrative and you're like, oh, no, actually, it makes perfect sense because the reason she's so focused on being diplomatic and using her words and meeting people mentally and trying to do match wits as it were is because she tried to do it by force. She tried Mm. to be an assassin. She tried to do that and felt like after she ended up killing her friend on accident because famously bards wear masks and they like hide their identities. So they're kind of like mask vigilantes and this revelation really spooked her and it, inspired her to take a different path find a different path right it's this idea that in life as you're trying to figure out what's best for you if things don't work up or something kind of blows up in your face it can either discourage you or it can inspire you to find a different path find another way and josephine's character is kind of the epitome of that of finding the alternate route and how she can make that work best for her absolutely uh and i think something that just occurred to me as well is like in an alternate timeline we could have had Josephine and Leliana in exactly the same situation and they wouldn't have known that it was the other person. You only know once you, you know, remove the mask. And at that point, one of you is dead. And now I'm just like, oh man, (laughs) imagine if (laughs) we only got Leliana or we only got Josephine and who would have come out of that fight alive i'm gonna i'm gonna say it's probably leliana i mean probably i mean we don't know what josephine's combat expertise Mm. was like right i mean both of them are not companions currently one of them was in a previous game and so it it would be a shame but it's also an interesting like mind-bending idea right like in the same way that you think about ash williams and and kate malenko and what if they were both in your party what if it wasn't Mm. choosing one or the other right like what would that world be like right well, very thankfully, we do have we do have both Leliana and Josephine in our Canon Dragon Age timeline. So we are going to have a super quick ad break, and then when we get back, we are going to finally talk about in more detail <laughs> the personal quest and romance of Josephine. So stick with us, and we'll be back in a second. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay. And seeing as we have alluded to this <laughs> throughout the entire episode, been like, oh yeah, the personal quest, the romance. Now we're finally at the point where we can kind of talk about it a bit more. So within Dragon Age, each of your kind of companions has these like little quests that you can do and it involves helping them do some kind of thing and give you some more information about who they are as a character. Sometimes or often linked in with like family and friends and their history. And Josephine's is, you know, a really great example of this. So I think, so her quest is called uh, Of Somewhat Fallen Fortune, which I think immediately tells you quite a lot about what's happening. As we've kind of already touched upon, Josephine's quest is very much rooted in her family and reinstating her family uh, essentially fallen power and I think something I really liked about Josephine's quest is that it is related to her family and that you can really see like both through her personal quest and also in her romance like just how much family means to Josephine yeah completely and I think also what's really interesting is during this quest you can you get to see like Josephine is really capable. She doesn't want to cut corners, even when her own life is at risk, right? Because it becomes uh, evident that the Du Paraquettes are striking back at Josephine's family for wrongs of the past. And like, there's a contract out with an assassin's guild to kill her and to take out her family and like cause trouble. And while even when during a, the bulk of this quest, Liliana uh, uh, offers to just send assassins to just kill them all and be like, we'll be done and we can move on. Josephine refuses. Even with her life at risk, she wants to take the high road as it were. She wants to investigate. She wants to find out really what's happening because she knows there's more to this than it seems and wants to solve it with diplomacy. And I think that strength we find out later it comes from this past, this history that we discussed already of who she was and that she doesn't want to go down a previous road. She wants to try and handle it her way as a person who is quite capable of figuring this out on her own. Yeah, when I kind of obviously have since played through all of this, I've played through her personal quest, I've done all of this research and kind of really come to understand Josephine more as a character, her attitude towards like, I do not want to retaliate in the violent way that they are kind of coming for me and my family. I want to resolve this on my terms, which is using my words and using my diplomacy. And I'm pretty sure during my <laughs> playthrough, I was like, cool idea, Josephine. However, do you know what we could do? We could just <laughs> kill the assassin and then when we get back to Skyhold and we have the two options and it's like, you know, Josephine wants to resolve this by elevating someone from the Jew Paraquettes, make them a noble so that they can annul the contract. And it's all very kind of above board and 
you know, very Josephine in her way of dealing with it. And then Leliana's suggestion is like, mm, well, we can send my spies to like, you know, locate and destroy the contracts. And by that point, I was like, oh, Josephine's really not going to like me doing the <laughs> underhanded method. But also, what if I trust Josephine and then the assassins succeed and they kill Josephine? So actually, no, I'm going with Leliana's choice. And it's like, obviously, the game was not trying to trick me on that level. But in that right. moment, I was like, Josephine, we are not risking your life so that you can be like, oh, well, you know, we resolved it with words. Now I'm like, Josephine's response is absolutely the appropriate one. For sure. I think it's interesting, though, that you get these options and then, like, as you explore this quest like it is clear that josephine knows how to handle it but you just have to trust her right and this is a the whole quest line is about trust and understanding and capability and uh you know th there's no moral right answer for what you choose here because i think the quest proceeds regardless mm. but it is interesting that you are given those options that you can make those choices yeah i cannot remember obviously <laughs> i cannot remember what josephine's response was to that but I think, like you rightly say, like it's really about trusting Josephine. And I think at that point in my playthrough, in that story, I was like, I absolutely trust you to do your job, but you are so important, I cannot lose you. So as your Inquisitor, I'm going to override you. And <laughs> I imagine Josephine was very unhappy with that. But, you know, she, she goes on and she survives. And I think something else I'm maybe missing out on as well is because I didn't romance Josephine. So maybe I didn't get as much to know certain aspects of her character. But I think, was she your first romance? Yes. So um, famously, I played through Inquisition first. I'd played a little bit of Dragon Age Origins back on the Xbox 360, didn't like it. Um, but then when I went, I played Inquisition much later and when I finally did a full playthrough, she was my first and so far only romance because I've only played through Inquisition once. And then I eventually went back and played through Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age 2. Um, and yeah, she was, she's the only person I've romanced in, in Inquisition. And, but I have looked up or researched the other uh, romances as well because it's a very long game and to play through that whole game mm. multiple times requires <laughs> a lot of time. But um, Josephine still remains my favorite, although I do like a, a few of the other, a lot of the others as well. And I think it's because of how kind of level-headed and capable she is. She doesn't need to be rescued. And in fact, her romance quest is all about that, right? Because you find out after returning a family crest to her that actually her family has arranged a marriage for her and Lord uh, Adorio Ciel Toronto. I don't think I pronounced that correctly but that she she has been arranged of a marriage and so then he this lord challenges you to a duel and she tells you not to accept she's quite insistent actually she's like i'll solve this myself i can take care of myself you don't have to go fight him but unfortunately you don't really you don't really really get a choice uh and you do and it's just this is what i love about this romance is that all of it is mostly about Josephine showcasing how capable she is and that she doesn't need your help. And though she's annoyed that you did respond to this challenge, she ultimately does still quite care about you and like 
it just it just shows the di- dynamics of this character that she doesn't just roll over and be like, "Oh, thank you for rescuing me." Mm-hmm. She's very much herself to the end. You know, she is annoyed that you accepted the challenge. She's annoyed that you fought for her, but you can't explain like it was for the romanticness of it, right? I want to protect those that I love, kind of a thing. But like, she's never like a damsel to be rescued, and I appreciate that about since that is so typical for a lot of characters like that who are more diplomatic who are less to rise to action they are often need to be rescued and she doesn't she can rescue herself yeah and i like i love that about josephine i love that she is so kind of she has her approach she has her morals she has the way that she wants to deal with things but i'm guessing largely because of her experience and her background in terms of diplomacy she actually meets you in terms of, you know, you went through with a jewel and she disagrees with that. And she's like, maybe you handled that terribly. But she actually talks to you about that. And to me, I really like that because when I, when I allude to my very complicated origins <laughs> playthrough, I got dumped by Alistair, not to go on a whole tangent, but right at the <laughs> end, after I big Alistair up and I I help him and I support him and all of this, he turns around at the end and he's like, yeah, but you're an elf. And I don't think people are going to like that. So thanks for making me king. Bye. <laughs> and I know, I think from a little bit of research, that Cassandra can also be a bit finicky. Like she can kind of be like, actually if you're not quite in line with me or you or you're going to stand in my way to becoming divine i'm going to drop you and josephine doesn't do that she actually talks to you and you work it out yeah and i think that's really interesting also considering the since she is a noble like typically those examples you gave of people rising to nobility or rising to a station of power leaving you in the dust and josephine doesn't do that like you find a way to make it work with the inquisitor regardless of what the the future holds and i think that's really special i think it's really interesting you know especially since in so many other games especially fantasy games if nobility is involved depending on your background or your race it can it can affect which are all things that are born out of a lot of racial and racist tropes that are kind of embedded in a lot of fantasy mm. unfortunately and like it's it's cool that at least josephine is a character she seems to be bisexual or pansexual. Mm. It's hard to tell, but like very much gender doesn't matter. You know, race doesn't really seem to matter, you know, um, and like even class doesn't really seem to matter. It's just, you know, as the Inquisitor, you can kind of romance her no matter who you are. And there are other characters we can only, like Solus, you can only romance if you're a female elf. Mm. Like he's straight and he only will date an elf and i think like just having a character that's romanceable no matter what you do is really interesting because i feel like other games even like mass effect there are queer characters but they are also kind of like i think there are a few where you can romance no matter who you are but there are a lot more that you can only romance one way or another with some in between yeah, that was something really interesting to me when I was like, obviously, obviously coming out of all the crap with Alistair and, and finding out that there are characters like Josephine who are just like, you know what? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter who you are. It's, you know, or rather like, you know, your race uh, or your gender. 
she will love you regardless and I do really like that. I think something for me and this is something that I find like really interesting when I was digging everything up about this and I got to these bits and I was like ooh, I don't know how I feel about these so obviously when we talk about you know Josephine doesn't doesn't seem to care about things like race or gender with the class thing though this is something where I think if you don't romance Josephine or Blackpool and I think I must have had this happen in my game and just didn't really pay too much attention to it they will kind of reference and you kind of as the inquisitor get the hint that something is going on between Josephine and Blackwall, but it will never kind of blossom into anything because of the inappropriateness of the relationship. And the only thing that is inappropriate about this relationship is that Josephine is a noble and Blackwall isn't. Right. Yeah. And as far as we know at that time, Blackwall is a Grey Warden, but mm. what Blackwall really is is a dirty liar. That's what Blackwall is. I know. I am like, uh, do you know what, Josephine? You, you probably Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely dodged a bullet there. Like, run from that man. Do not romance him. But for the kind of purpose of this whole kind of, you know, if there are exceptions to romancing Josephine, that is one that kind of stood out to me. And then on the other side of that, I was like, oh, Josephine doesn't have any, like, you can romance Josephine regardless of what race your your uh, inquisitor is. And in the back of my mind, I was like, I feel like there's some kind of history between the Canari and Antiva, but I don't know this for certain. And I kind of went digging a little bit because I was really curious. And I was like, yes, I was correct. The Canari actually conquer Antiva for what I don't understand how Dragon Age timelines work, but it's like it says from like 632 or 642 Steel to 784 Storm. I don't know how many years that is. It sounds like a lot. And there's like three exalted marches, which also makes me think it's a really long time. And Antiva is finally freed from Kanari Conquest after the third exalted march and so when i was thinking about this as well i was like it's very interesting that blackwall is inappropriate because of his class but you can seemingly be a canary inquisitor and romance josephine and that doesn't get kind of touched on as far as i'm aware yeah so i feel like i feel like it's interesting because you know Irregardless of what happened in Josephine's history, she's like, I don't care. That wasn't you. Yeah. And it, that's interesting that even though you think her history would dictate those choices, it doesn't seem to really matter once she's a part of the Inquisition. Yeah. And again, this is why I think it's something that I really appreciate about Josephine, especially for a character that has such strong allegiances to her family. I think in the past, when I've kind of encountered families or storylines that kind of deal with a lot of these issues it tends to go the other way where it would be like oh well you know my family is a very old antivan noble house and you canari your people 
conquered Antifa for a while, and so I'm just not going to be interested in you, and I'm going to hold this against you. Whereas with Josephine, she's not doing that. So again, in the way that we were hoping to neatly package this <laughs> for you, this is me being like, okay, how can we bring this to a nice close? Josephine gives us such a like really insightful glimpse into this entire political world with all of its nuances and all of its complications. And I just like, I'm so glad you suggested we do Josephine because honestly, I have such a newfound appreciation for her character because of all of this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, Josephine's my favorite character for a lot of reasons, including the fact that I just really like her personality and the like. She, I mean, the voice actor who plays her is also incredible and mm. does incredible work. But like, she's such a real well-written character and reminds us of stuff that's been present in all of the games, right? Like, if you really think about Dragon Age Origins, Dragon Age Awakening, and Dragon Age Two, they all are about politics, right? Politics are kind of at the forefront of every one of those stories. But it is easy to focus on the action. Mm. And what I love about characters like Josephine is that they give us these moments to focus on the world and the politics and the people besides the ones swinging swords or shooting spells. And it just gives a broader kind of look at what you're trying to build as the Inquisition other than just conquering or taking over or stopping you know, Corypheus and all of this other stuff. Like there's so much more to this game and the complexities of the Inquisition. And Josephine is a great, great conduit for that. Yeah. And with the kind of, especially with the size that the Inquisition grows to, I think is a really kind of good example of the fact that like, you know, especially with something that lasted, you know, the length of time that this does, and all of the stuff that kind of comes up, I guess, in like later in like Trespasser um, and various other like little bits, you cannot build an Inquisition without that networking, without those alliances, without those discussions. Yeah, you can run in like Cullen and you can hack everything with the sword or you can be really underhanded like Leliana. But I think Josephine is the one that, again, like, really unites everyone brings everyone together and i yeah i can just just in my mind i'm looking at a world in which josephine didn't exist and i'm like that's a mess that inquisition (laughs) was bad (laughs) that's kind of what i wanted to end on that that's me basically (laughs) answering the last question was i put these um I put this like terrible acronym that I was like, where would we be without Josephine Montillier? And it's like all those <laughs> moments where I feel like the Inquisitor would have to look on their hand and they've written in like ink or something like, what would Josie do? <laughs> yeah. So that's the kind of pitch that I was like, where would we be without Josie? Having emphasized how important she is, how much of a really great character she is. Give me your timeline in which Josie wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are pretty much every step of the way, if Josephine wasn't there, the the kind of Inquisition would fall apart, as you say. Um, I think that the political stuff is clearly not the Inquisitor's um, specialty, and it's not anyone else's specialty. And I think 
the timeline doesn't get very far. I think, you know, Corypheus would have his way with the Inquisition pretty quickly if we didn't have the support that we needed. And a lot of that support and the numbers and the people who show up for the Inquisition come from Josephine's help. So I don't know that there's a timeline. I think it's a straight line down as far as not having Josephine around because we wouldn't get far, very far from the beginning. Yeah, I think you, yeah, absolutely right. And I think like so many kind of other Bioware games, like especially if we're thinking about something like Mass Effect, a lot of that kind of like the final things that you're doing in 3, for example, is similarly like you're trying to mobilize very disparate groups. You're trying to bring people together who have competing interests, who don't agree on everything, who have these very like, long and complicated histories with each other and you are a figure who is essentially saying you know listen to me i can stop this from happening but to do so i need you all to listen and to play game for a little while and josephine is that person who allows that process to happen and smooths it over over but i think again without her it would have just been like I'm pretty sure it just would have been like noble people like fighting everywhere being like you know you can't build that road here and like whatever <laughs> whatever other anarchy would have happened um and again less tea parties and less fun without Josie yeah I mean clearly um she she's got what it takes to both make us fight stronger and party harder and I think ultimately at the end of the day those are the most important <laughs> things that we need in the inquisition Yes. Okay. So on that note, what was it? Fight. Wait. No. Say it again. Um. Fight stronger <laughs> and party harder. Fight stronger, party harder, and that is the end of our law party episode. Okay, that was like my little way of being like, we're a party. So again, thank you so much for coming and doing this episode with me, for bringing such an amazing character to the table, and for all of your like genuinely like really good josephine enthusiasm and insights um do you have any kind of like final words you want to say apart from leaving us with a really good slogan <laughs> i mean i thank you for having me um i love coming on lord party um i will always accept that invitation at any time um a lot of planning and timing went into this and so i'm grateful that we were able to finally get together and do it um you're a pleasure to chat with and uh your enthusiasm for someone who you didn't know that much about <laughs> and then wanted to explore because of mine i am grateful for because if i can get more people invested in or even infatuated with josephine montelier my job is you know my job is done but I, I genuinely do like this character and think she's a key and core member of the party, even though she's not running around the battlefield with you. And I'm glad that you were willing to explore that. Uh, I think that what's fascinating about Bioware games as a whole, whether it's Knights of the Old Republic, Mass Effect, Dragon Age, or even anything else, is that the there are so many characters that are just as important as the main character, mm -hmm. and it's not just a one-person story, right? And I like having heroes, and I like hero-focused stories, but it's like I like ensembles, and Josephine is like the prime example of an incredible ensemble character, uh, and uh, and one and still to this day one of my favorites within the franchise. Yes, and I, that's why I'm like, this is why I love team stuff and collaborations, <laughs> and that's kind of like one of the great things that I like about Law Party, and I hope that other people really enjoy, 
is we can have all of these like really interesting conversations and collaborations. Um, and in terms of like going forwards, like this is the first of met or what I want to be many Dragon Age episodes. I have a few more being planned and in the in the lineup, but I know you are also doing Dragon Age content. So I wondered if you want to quickly like pitch your Dragon Age content as well while you're here. Oh, I thank you. So yeah, um, so I've been doing a long-running podcast called Reignite with my incredible co-host Frankie, and the two of us started that podcast exploring Mass Effect and specifically the Mass Effect trilogy and this idea that if we created two brand new Commander Shepherds, what would it be like if we made choices as if we were in Shepherd's shoes, right? Which is what a lot of folks do, but when we really buckled down and focused on it, we learned a lot about ourselves and about the game and about the world, and it was a really fun experiment that we then brought to um, Mass Effect Andromeda, which I hadn't played previously before we explored it, and that we have now moved on after finishing in season four, Andromeda now, of course, making the natural jump to the Dragon Age universe. And we have begun our exploration of Dragon Age. We, as of when we're recording, we've just aired episode five, and uh, the fifth season's been really interesting because unlike Mass Effect, when you're, you're one character and you have to be human, in the Dragon Age series, except for the second game, you get to pick a race and, and class. And it's really mm. interesting to explore that because it gave us more options. And we kind of did a dice roll for the race because it doesn't matter, right? Like, we're, not, we're both humans in actual life. And so the race of the character matters less. Um, and so we kind of did a dice roll. I ended up getting a dwarf. Frankie got a human. Um, Frankie ended up playing a human mage, and I'm playing a dwarven ranger, a lowborn dwarf, a poor dwarf. Um, and the story's already really interesting, the choices that we've had to make in the exploration and playing Dragon Age Origins, which has its ups and downs as a game mechanically. But it's been fun to explore that. So if you want to hear more Dragon Age-related content, you can look us up on any podcast platform. It's again, it's called Reignite. We are on Spotify, Apple, pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. Um, and then briefly, I also do a regular, more broad video game podcast called Funny Games uh, with the incredible Jeff Moonen, where we interview developers and composers. We talk about different topics within the games industry. And you can find that Funny Games pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts. Amazing. So whilst you're waiting for our next <laughs> Dragon Age <laughs> episode, which will appear soon, I say. Um, it will appear at some point soon. Go and check out Matt's other Dragon Age content and other really good podcast episodes. But for now, that wraps up our conversation here today about Josephine. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, Please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at law underscore party. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for listening. And we will catch you next.